Thanks for listening to the Community Bible Church Sermon Podcast. Pastor Dan Strutz here. Our desire is to connect people with Christ and community. For more info or to contact us, please visit cbcmountainlake.com. summertime where we're out barbecuing and we like to eat and we we enjoy those meals and 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 it's you know we hunger and and that word hunger comes up in there like like you know i'm just sitting there as we're singing and it's like do i hunger for god the same way that i hunger for you know lunch after i i I skip breakfast or after you know a long day of work uh, you know and, and, and physical activity do i hunger that same way for god it's a great question to ask ourselves this morning, especially because as we as we turn to God's word now, you know, we've sung and proclaimed him and we've given and, and we've just contemplated him and the songs and what he's done for us. This morning, we are turning to Isaiah and this morning in Isaiah 41, if you are, are if you've been tracking with us, we're, we're uh, about two thirds into Isaiah uh, and we can ask, not only do we hunger for him, but do we trust him? In the hardships, in the difficult things in life, uh, this morning the message title is "Fear Not, for the for glory is promised." Fear not, for glory is promised, and that idea is that we don't have to fear if we know who our God is. The God we hunger for, we long for, we desire. This God we've been singing this morning. He's not just good for on Sundays. He's good for every day of the week when darkness comes in our life, and He can help us in our life. So there is no fear as we walk through this life. It was in, uh, ni- in 1933 that President Franklin Delano Roosevelt, I don't know if you've heard of him, he was a little bit before my time, but uh, he was uh, speaking to a country, our country, uh, that was, was really in the middle of the Great Depression. They were in the middle of a really uh, dark, hard time. And it was him who came and in his inaugural address, uh, when really the people didn't know what the future held, they didn't know where they were going, uh, they definitely didn't know some of the things that we, now hindsight, knew that shaped the culture and, and moved us forward, he spoke these words that are familiar to many of us. We have nothing to fear but fear itself. We have nothing to fear but fear itself. If we fear, that that's the thing that we... As we move forward, that's the thing that will cripple us. That's the thing that will paralyze us. All we have to fear is that fear itself. When we start to fear, we're done. We're toast. We're finished. He described the fear of his time as nameless, unreasoning, unjustified fear. Fear that wasn't necessary, that was that could cripple the nation, a people. Fear not, he says. And it's interesting because in many ways, this president, FDR, as he's taking and about to start in his office, is really speaking as a prophetic voice saying, we have nothing to fear. Let us move forward. Let us go. And and again, the context is what? He's speaking to broken people in a dark time that they don't know what's going to happen and if things are going to be okay. Rewind to 
700 years. And there's a guy named Isaiah, a prophet, who speaks the words of God, and he basically says the same thing. Fear not, as he speaks to a people, as we were reminded in this text, who are broken, who are in a dark time, who are hurting, who are uncertain about the future. Part of that is brought on by their own sin, their own brokenness. They have turned from God and gone their own way, and and they've moved forward down a path that they should never have gone. But part of it's also because their enemies have come in, conquered their land, and pulled them out away from their land to Babylon a long ways away. And here Isaiah is going to say, fear not. Now, of course, we're not talking about the, the what I would call the stupid fear. You know, like I can jump off a bridge with a bungee cord along, around my ankles and, and I don't fear that I'm going to hit the bottom. Or when Susanna sees a little creepy crawly thing through the through the kitchen or something like that, she, you know, that's that that's not the fear that I just I don't tell her fear not, don't worry about it, go pick it up. Um, what I'm talking about here are those things that actually cripple us, those things in our mind, in our heart, in our day to day that just leave us paralyzed, that leave us uh, just unable to move forward with life. For some of you, as parents, you wonder, will my, will my child turn out all right? Or will they return to the Lord? Or will they, will, am I even parenting them right? We fear that, we worry, and it cripples us. Some of us in our business, we, will, we worry about the, the, the times and prices of, of, of crop and wondering, am I going to make it in the end? Is it going to turn out? Am I going to end up in the black at the end of the year, or am I not? Some of us have a headache or a pain, and we worry even about going to the doctor because we're anxious and fearful of what his diagnosis might be. So we're delaying, we're putting it off, we're fearful of those things. I think for most of us also, we fear what others would think of us if they knew we had such and such a sin, the thing that we're wrestling with, the brokenness. If, if they only knew, we can look around in this room and say, uh, fear, if only these people around me knew that I really don't read my Bible every day or that I, I don't have this great prayer life or that I, I don't really, uh, I, I, there's things I'm struggling with. We fear those things and they leave us crippled from engaging with each other. Isaiah is going to say, fear not remember that over the last couple weeks, we've turned from a, what in a song, if it was a song, we've turned from a minor key to judgment, and we've now moved into kind of a major key, a positive, a, a, a happy, uh, just a little bit more positive uh, voice of Isaiah speaking the hope in the Lord. Two weeks ago, he was directing us to look, view, know that God is coming. He's our shepherd. He will come. And last week, he told us that in the midst of looking at him, we now wait. We wait on him. And then we will rise on wings of great eagles. Isaiah 40, verse 9. We wait for him. And, and now as we're here in this moment, as we're waiting for him, the call, the call is to not fear. As God is going to work out his plan and his purposes. So fear not for glorious promise. And that back part I'll explain a little bit later. Fear not for glorious promise that in his word. But let me thank God for his word this morning as we turn to Isaiah 41. 
uh, which is on page 510 of your Pew Bibles. Um, let me pray and thank God for his word. Father God, thank you this morning that, that you have preserved this word for us, that you spoke through Isaiah in a miraculous way. This morning we're going to see, uh, really in some of these words, you saying, I will, I will, I will. You are speaking about what you are doing in the world. And Lord, in this book, we, we know that that should direct our attention. It should grab hold of our minds, our hearts, and how we live out this life. Lord, this morning we hear some of those things that we might hear, and each one of us, I believe, has something that is so easy to grab us. We don't know because of that thing, sometimes to the extreme, if we will even able to face tomorrow because today is so difficult. We don't know what the future holds and it leaves us unable to move, react, or even look into the future. Spirit, I ask that you speak to our minds this morning. Use this time to work using the words of mind that you can and that you do and Lord, anything that's not of you, just let it speak to us. Father, this morning, we, we pray. We know that because of what Jesus has done, we can turn to you. We can walk through life, not fearing. Lord, let us turn to you and walk with you. Look with me at Isaiah 41, and I'm going to read the first four verses, and then we'll proceed to go through the rest of the passage, the rest of the chapter as we go through this morning. Isaiah 41, verse 1 says this. Listen to me in silence, O coastlands. Let the peoples renew their strength. Let them approach, then let them speak. Let us together draw near for judgment. Who stirred up one from the east, whom victory meets at every step? He gives up nations before him so that he tramples kings underfoot. He makes them like dust with his sword, uh, like driven stubble stubble with his bow. He pursues them and passes on safely. By paths under his feet have not trod. Who has performed and done this, calling the generations from the beginning? I, the Lord, the first and with the last. morning, the Lord is speaking not just to Israel, his people, but he's speaking to the nations. He says that right in that first verse as he calls the coastlands, all the peoples from distant lands to listen up. He's saying that that if we imagine the world as one big continent, that, that he's saying all the way to the edges, as far as my word can reach, listen to my word. first thing this morning as he's calling them to listen is that the world is called to respond to God's work. The world is called to respond to God's work. Look with me at verse 1. He calls them, O coastlands, listen to me. 
And then he, he gives them this opportunity. Let the peoples renew their strength. Let them approach God and let them speak. Let us together draw near for judgment. This idea of judgment is pretty, pretty much everyone would agree that as they write about these verses, that what is happening here is God is calling all the peoples from all the lands, all the world, for a trial. He's calling court to session. If you've ever been in a court before, you have that moment where it says, all rise as the judge comes in. It's kind of that moment when court is about to start, that a judgment is going to be made. And basically from here, God is allowing himself to be put on trial, and all the peoples are also being put on trial. As we look to God and his work in the world, he's calling to say, who do you say, who do you respond to who God is in this world? gathering them together, and he's offering them a chance to give a defense, to speak up and say, who do you say, how do you respond to God working in the world? He's challenging and asking the question, who is in control? You see in verse 2, verse 4, he asks these questions, who, 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 who is the mover, who is the shaker behind all these things? says, who stirred up one from the east from victory meets at every step? The, the idea here in verse 2, again, Israel, trapped in Babylon, away from their country, he's speaking, I am raising a king from the east who's going to come in and bring these people out. There's some discussion amongst scholars about who exactly this is speaking of. It's speaking of something yet to come, speaking of something in the future, at least for the time, the people for Israel. But there, uh, in the midst of that, uh, it, it doesn't so much matter who it is, so much as who is behind it. I would say, as many do, that what is being talked about, who is stirred up from the east, he's speaking of Cyrus, king of Persia, the king who we read about at the end of First Chron- or Second Chronicles, and the king we read about at the beginning of Ezra. Cyrus, who, who would bring the people out, he, he would come and conquer Babylon, and then, kind of in a miracle of God, a pagan king would allow God's people to come out and say, you can go home now, you can worship, you can go and be a people in your land again. But again, the, the question isn't, who is this talking about, this king who's going to come and to ride in and, and be God's tool? The, the, the idea is, who is the one who is using this king? Who is the one that is, as it says, stirring up, stirring the waters a little bit and sending this king to do his work? The question is, who is it that is from the beginning and to the end who is working out his plan and and how will you respond to that? Luke 4, when he's performed and done this, calling the generations from the beginning, he's saying, who is going to respond to what I am doing? himself out there. I am the Lord. I am God. And first, I am in the beginning, in the creation, like we saw last week. I created it all, and I didn't need any help. And now he's saying, I am also the last. I'll be there in the end. I am the one that's going to make kings rise and fall. And if you imagine this, God's story, God's, God's big picture from Genesis to Revelation, like an airplane. He's saying, I'm the pilot that took this thing off, and I'm going to land it in the end see that, and how do you respond?
passage moves on to then from where God says, I am this God. I am this great God. It moves on, and we start to see the reactions of the people, those coastlands, those peoples of the world. It says in verse 5 through 7, The coastlands have seen and are afraid, and the ends of the earth tremble. They have drawn near and come. Stop there for a moment. This idea, when we know who this God is, when we see who he is in creation, who he's bringing uh, kings up and down, and he's, he's the one that's kind of uh, moving the chess pieces of the world stage, you could say, and he's in control, really to the world, this draws fear. It draws out uh, in afraid. Uh, while our message is, be not afraid or do not fear, have no fear, the idea is that when we understand who God is, when we're presented with truly is, there is most definitely fear. There is something to tremble at. We see that throughout Isaiah. We could go all the way back, and I keep referring back to Isaiah 6. Isaiah himself, he sees God, and he says, I am ruined, and he notices God, and he sees him lifted up. He's broken before the Lord. There's fear, trembling. But look at who, how the world reacts. Verse 6 and 7. It says they've drawn near, and it says everyone helps his neighbor and says to his brother, Be strong. The craftsman strengthens the goldsmith, and he who smooths with the hammer, him who strikes the anvil, saying to the soldering, It is good. And they strengthen it with nails so that it cannot be moved. We should laugh at that verse. In fact, I, I told Susanna this week, if you look at verse 6, everyone helps his brother and says, or everyone helps his neighbor and says to his brother, be strong. We could almost like take that out and put it on a, on a magnet on our refrigerator and say, encourage your neighbor and support them and say, be strong. It's one of those kind of uh, verses that if we take it out of context, it sounds really good. But then we put it back in and it says, what is actually going on here? They're encouraging each other. The world is to make more idols. In, in their fear, in their trembling, they're saying, hey, be strong. Keep hammering the nails into your idols. Keep making them and building them up and trust in them. It's going to be okay. There is a, a kind of mocking fashion here that, that Isaiah, as through God, is bringing forward that says, look at the world. Their response to fear to God is not to turn to Him and turn and repent and say, ah, God, we're sorry, but instead it's saying, let's big builder, build bigger idols and more of them. And it says, let's even nail them down to the ground so that they make sure they stand. That's how the world responds to God. That's how the world will look and say, instead of turning to Him, they say, well, we're afraid. Let's just build more things that will, what? Give us comfort. More things that will give us a false hope things that we can look to and bow down to, and for the moment, for the time being, we'll feel okay. That's what the world reacts when they start to confront God. They move further and further away from Him. I read one comment that said that the when we don't worship God, it's not that we worship nothing, it's just that we worship more of something else. When we don't look to God and who He is, we start to move in a different direction. Now, we know that for the world. 
But we got to pause here and say, when fear hits, when dark times hit, when hard times hit, when, when we are tempted to fear in our lives, what is it that we turn to? Do we turn to God, the one who can actually give hope? Or do we turn to the other things that might give us momentary satisfaction? That could be, that could be, in our time, could be social media. When, when we're anxious, when we're fearful, we turn to uh, uh, somewhere where we can uh, see and, and not have to think about our problems. Uh, to an extreme, we could say, when, when we're fearful, when we're anxious and we're paralyzed by fear, we could go to the other end of this and, and we, we're turning to, uh, we're turning to a, a drug of choice, a- alcohol, or we're turning to something that is, is unseen, uh, pornography, or we're turning to a, a number of other things when we're fearful that we turn and say, I just want a momentary idol to comfort this pain and to satisfy me for the moment rather than turning and trusting to God. That we say, it's good. It's going to be okay. But clearly, we know it's wrong. That's the result for the world, and we don't want to follow that. For those of us who trust in Christ, those of us who are looking, because this storyline of the Bible from beginning to end ultimately points to Jesus, for those of us who have put our hope in this God through Christ, just the way these people, Israel, they were being called to trust in the Messiah yet to come. For them, they could turn to God. And for them, God makes some promises. Rather than fearing, God gives promises to his people. Three of them. And that's our next point. We find out that God upholds, he transforms, and he utilizes his people. God upholds, transforms, and utilizes his people. Verses 8 through 20. Let's look there for a moment. He says, But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend, you whom I took from the ends of the earth. And I'll pause there. He's been talking to the coastlands all this time, right? He's been talking to the ends of the earth. And here he says, I took you from the ends of the earth. So these people are just like everyone else. They're brought in and they're brought to God. Chosen, special, unique, because of what God has done. Not because they've done anything special. Say, I called you from the furthest corners, saying to you, You are my servant, I have chosen you and not cast you off. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Behold, all who are incensed against you shall be put to shame and confounded. Those who strive against you shall be as nothing and shall perish. You shall seek those who contend with you. But you shall not find them. Those who war against you shall be as nothing at all. For I, the Lord, your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, fear not, I am the one who helps you. He goes on, fear not, you worm of Jacob, you men of Israel. I am the one who helps you, declares the Lord. Your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. Behold, I make of you a thresh. I behold, I make of you a threshing sledge, new, sharp, and heavy teeth. You shall thresh the mountains and crush them, and you shall make the hills like shaft. You shall winnow them, and the wind shall carry them away. The trumpetists shall scatter the 
trumpet is to shall scatter them, and ye shall rejoice in the Lord, in the Holy One of Israel, ye shall glory. When the poor and the needy seek water, and there is none, and their tongue is parched with thirst, I, the Lord, will answer them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will open rivers on the bare heights, the fountains in the midst of the valley. I will make a wilderness a pool, wilderness a pool of water. In the day the dry land shall spring with water, I put in the wilderness the cedar, the acacia, the myrtle, the olive. I will set the desert the cypress, the plain and the pine together, that they may see and know, and they consider, that they may see and know, and they consider and understand together that the hand of the Lord has done this, the Holy One of Israel has created it. He gives us three promises from him. Three promises to those whom he has chosen. He says, fear not. I put pillars underneath my chosen people, verses 8 through 13. Look at those words. My servant, I have chosen, my friends. He starts to establish with these people. Those of you who have a relationship with me, who have come to know me, by my drawing you to me, by my choosing, I have something for you. I have a purpose for you. I have a plan for you. You're my friends, and I want you to succeed. We need to see that, because in this fearful time, when we're, when we're scared and we don't know what's going to hold, do we realize who God is and His relationship with us? This isn't just something like, okay, God, you got me into heaven, but He's walking through this life and saying, you're my servant, you're a tool for me, I have a purpose for you. There's relationship of which he says, I have something for you. If he's chosen us, if he's chosen us, do you really think that he would leave us in this life? Do you really think that he would just kind of say, okay, I, I, I gave you my gospel, but now I'm going to walk away and you've got to kind of trust this life on your own and take it at yourself? No. He says, Jesus himself, later on in the gospel, says, I won't leave you or forsake you. It's that idea of relationship. I have brought you in, and I'm not going to go. And he goes, in this text, he goes all the way back to Genesis. He says, he goes back to Abraham and that story where he says, I pulled Abraham. I chose him so that one could come, the seed, the one that would be the Savior, the blessing to all the nations. He's, he's speaking again already of the Messiah, John. Abraham goes all the way back. Well, guys, remember what happened right before Abraham. The Tower of Babel. People tried to earn things on their own. They tried to get their way to God. They tried to trust in their own way. And God tears it down, and then he pulls one out and sets them apart. There's this idea that here, these people, again, they are in Babylon, and these people who think that they're great, and they're fearful what's going on. And he said, no, remember, I chose Abraham, and I'm going to use you. I'm going to fill my plan out. Again, if I'm the first and I'm the last and I'm using you, I leave this thing to finish out. There is no fear. He says, fear not. Or don't have anxiety as you live this life. And then he proceeds to give uh, these people five what we can call pillars. In the midst of our fear, 
in the midst of us being kind of shaky sand and, and are building on, on shaky sand, we know when Jesus talks about those, those who build their house on the sand, they'll come crumbling down. God, God comes and builds up, and he gives pillars for us to build our house on firm, strong things. Five of them. I am with you. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. He starts off, for I am with you. I am with you. This idea that I come, uh, that I hear in this, and I, and I think of this as like a father with a child. We all know the picture of a child who is uh, in his bedroom, scared that there's a monster in the closet. The dad doesn't just come in and say, oh, look, the closet, it's mine, I'm out. The kid comes in, or the father comes in and spends time and says, it's okay, I'm here, I'm with you, I'll make sure it's okay, you don't have to be fearful, I'm on your team, I'll care for you, I'll, I'll wait until you fall asleep so that you're okay. goes around and it goes from there and says, I am your God. And in the, in, he says, do not be dismayed. Or the idea there is don't look around anxiously like those who, who in, in afraid, scared time, like a child again, who's lost in the mall or, or lost somewhere. At, you know, the state fair is coming up, lost at the fair. Where's my dad? Where's my dad? Looking around, searching, searching, and, and trying to find and without resolve. Here God says, I am your God. You don't have to search around. I'm right here with you the whole time. You don't have to search for help. I'm there. And then he moves on to say, I will strengthen you. I will build you up. When you can't go and do it yourself, I will help you. And I will uphold you when you can't help yourself. Those things are spoken of in, in the perfect sense that it says they will happen. I, it's not going to be a, a 50-50 chance, but God will strengthen, will help will uphold. So in those things, if God says those things, we can turn them around. We can use those when we're fearful. We can use those words as as fighter ideas so we can fight back and trust and rest in the Lord. Those things, we can turn around to say it like this. God is with me. God is my God. God will strengthen me. God will help me. God will uphold me. Let me ask you again, whatever it is that you might be fearing today, tomorrow, the next day, those things that you are are anxious about and are ruining you in your life, are you saying those things and reminding yourself, God is with me. He is my God. He will help me. He will strengthen me. He will uphold me. Is that what we turn to? Is that what we say? Or do we turn to our idols and our other things just like this? Piper, a pastor up in the Twin Cities, in a sermon a long time ago on this passage, he, he makes this comment. He says, we should not be a people, if we're in Christ, who are anxious and troubled or worried or fretful about the things that threaten our life and happiness. Economic adversity, hostile people, satanic oppression, guilt-laden consciences, deteriorating health and death. The mark of God's people is not incapacitating fear, but rather contrite, courageous 
confidence in God. Confidence in God. That list, economic, other people, oppression from Satan, guilt-laden consciousness, deteriorating health and death. Some of you may feel those things. But the answer isn't to fear, but the answer is to turn to God and have confidence that His promises are good. That He's upholding But it goes on from there. It's not just that He upholds us. It's not just for the purpose that we get through and and make uh, go through this life and and we're like, okay, now I'm strengthened, I'm not fearful. The passage actually goes on and goes much deeper than this. And it says that He transforms us. Verses 14 and 16. Look at 14. He goes from, you're my servant, you're my friend, to what does He call him? Fear not, you worm. Now, I'm not a farmer. And I imagine that there's some great purpose for that God created worms out in the land and the dirt that makes it really good for our fields out there. But this isn't a positive. This isn't like, hey, oh, you're a worm, you're really important to the ecosystem. No, he's saying, you're a worm, you're lowly. He calls those who are his, his friends, you are worms. Now what's God saying in that? He's saying that that you are something that is dirty. You have been dirty, and a worm is not just dirty on the outside, he's dirty on the inside, right? Job's, the book of Job, it it uses this word and it talks about that, that that he is filthy, he is uh, not pleasant and clean before God. I'm a worm. The other use of this passage, this idea of worm, is from Psalms, and it speaks of how other people view me, how other people look, that I'm worthless, that I'm mistreated, that it's something like a kid who goes and squishes a worm on the ground. I am nothing. So this idea when God says, you're a worm, he's saying, you are dirty, and other people despise you, and you're lowly. Now, for us in our educated technologically advanced culture, we could sit there and say, I'm far better than a worm. I'm a lot more, I have something to offer to God. But that's not what God is saying. God isn't saying that. He says, you have nothing to offer me. I've chosen you, but you're lowly. Let's catch this. Verse 15. He moves on from saying, you're a worm, you're lowly, I am the one who helps you. I am the Redeemer. And then he goes into 15. Behold, I will make you a threshing sledge. I will make you something that can that's worthy, that will go and, and work the land and be useful to me. The worm, the threshing sledge. What's he saying there? Now again, it's not just that he's, he's saying this and, and I'm going to make you into something. We have to understand the context again is... In your brokenness, in your fear, in your difficulties, I am going to use you. I'm going to make you from nothing to something. I'm going to transform you into something great. What do we usually do in our lives when when darkness comes, when difficulty comes, when fearful times come? We try to flee from them, don't we? We try to run from them and minimize them and, and get away from them. But what God is saying here is in your brokenness, in your time, when you're hurting and and, and fear is at your door, when you start to rest in me, when you start to trust in those pillars that I am with you, he says when we start 
rather than fleeing from our fear, we start to rest in it, live in it, trust God. That's when transformation happens. What is it that you're fearing right now? What is it that you're walking with that you're uncertain about? And how are you trying to live in that? Are you trusting that God might be using that pain, that brokenness, that fear to transform you into something that's usable for Him? It's not common thought. That's what the text is going for. So that, it says in verse 16, that you shall rejoice in the Lord, and the Holy One of Israel shall, in of Israel, you shall glory. It's saying, you will be a tool for me. You will be used for me. And that's where the next verses go. In 17 through 20, it talks about being used for him. That God is utilizing this people. We move from when you start to trust in those pillars, when you trust, start to trust that I'm here, I'm going to transform you, and then I am going to bring life where there is no life. He speaks about bringing life and water to the wilderness, bringing trees to the desert. He starts to speak of life that's brought through these tools, these instruments. When we start to not fear, when we start to trust in Him, He will use us to bring life. And ultimately, that's for His glory. Verse 17 to 20. It says that they may see consider and understand together that the hand of the Lord, what the hand of the Lord has done, has done this. The Holy One of Israel has created this. He speaks, I uphold you, I will transform you, and I will utilize you so that others will look to me, so that the world will turn, and as they're given life, as they're given water in a dry land, that they're going to live and turn to God as our brokenness, the things that we're tempted to run to other idols like the world is, when we start to rest in God, he builds this idea. When we start to trust in him, as he transforms us, those things are going to be used so that he can use us to bring others in and so that others as well can have life. It's in our brokenness, in our fear, resting on God, that that's where transformation of the world happens. when we're at our best as the church, as God's people, that the world transforms. It's when we are broken and God works through us as lowly ones that he will bring life to our neighbors, to our families, to this world. We're going to understand more of this and unpack how this happens next week as we turn into chapter 42 when Jesus is the servant who comes and makes this possible. But for now, I just want us to trust again in in what these people, Israel, were being called to trust in. And trust in God who will transform you so that you can change the world. He moves on to 21 through 29. And there we see a final point. God acts ultimately for the declaration of his glory. Now, this passage that I'm about to read, it, it was a little bit confusing. How do I use this? How do you fit this in with, with the big picture? Like, like there isn't so much about fear here. There isn't so much uh, about, about standing and, and turning to God and trusting Him. That kind of seems behind us at this time. But I think that God, and through Isaiah, has a logic here that we need to follow. Let me read 21 through 29. He's speaking 
as he turns back to that court scene. It goes back to that judgment. How will you listen? How will you respond to God? He turns back to that court scene, and now he's kind of like the prosecuting attorney pointing to the idols themselves. The people have put their idols on display, and now the prosecuting attorney is going to turn to them and try to say, okay, do what you're called by the world to do. Says this. Set forth your case, says the Lord. Bring your proofs, says the king of Jacob. Let them bring them and tell what is to happen. Tell us the former things, what they are, that we may consider them, that we may know their outcome, or declare to us the things to come. Tell us what is to come hereafter, that we may know that you are God. Do good or do harm, that we may be dismayed and terrified. Behold, you are nothing, and your works is less than nothing. An abomination is he who accuses you. God turns to these idols and he says, uh, perform mighty acts. Tell us the future. Do stuff for us. And it basically says, they just sit there. They don't do anything. Those things that the world is going to turn to, those things that we are so often tempted to turn to, they are powerless. And honestly, it says they're abomination or they are a They just make us dirty. They just make us unclean. It's as if we put on a a brand new wedding dress and then go and roll in the mud when we turn to these idols. When we turn to trusting in things that are not God. It goes on. 25 to 29. I stirred up one from the north that has come from the rising of the sun. He shall call upon my name. He shall trample on rulers as on mortar, as the potter treads clay, who declares it from the beginning that we might know, and beforehand that we might say, He is right. He is right. There is none who declares, none who proclaims, none who heard these words. I was the first to say to Zion, Behold, here they are, and I give to Jerusalem a herald of good news. But when I look, there is none among these. There is no They are all a delusion. Their works are nothing. Their, their metal images are empty forms. God turns back and says, these idols that we turn to are nothing. And essentially, these last verses, as it speaks to God and he turns to these idols, we have this watershed moment where God in the court scene is judging. He says, those who have turned and trusted in me and have turned to me, they're going to be okay. But to those who uh, are not, they're trusting in the wrong things. And what's going to happen to them is judgment. They put their trust in empty ruins. The whole point of this focuses in at 26, where he says that the point of all this, the point of what I'm doing, is for people to turn and say, he is right. For his glory to be known throughout the world. The reason that we trust in Him is so that we can say, we chose rightly, we, God brought us in, and we're looking and trusting in the right things. The world, they're going to look and say, wow, sheep, we didn't trust in the right things. We chose wrongly. The point here is that God's glory is promised. And it's going to be the dividing line. Now, why is that important? 
Why is that important in the darkness that we're facing today and tomorrow? Why is God's glory so important that through this kind of trial scene that God is going to bring out and, and separate those things out for his glory? Why is that important for us? It's important because for us, God's glory is promised. God's glory is promised. And, and what I want us to see this morning is that the reason that you can fear, or that you can fear not, the reason that you can trust in the pillars, the reason that God is transforming you into something that can be used by Him is because God's glory and name is on the line. It's not just that God loves us. That's obviously an important part. It's not just that God wants you to walk through and stuff like that. But the Creator God is putting His name on the line. He's putting His reputation on the line. And He's promising that I'm going to bring you through you for my glory so that the world can see that. That's far greater, uh, great news, that a God has chosen us so that He can be known, so that He can be glorified, and I don't think He's backing down from that. So when He tells you to fear not, when He tells you to trust in Him, when He turn, tells you to trust, turn to Him in what is paralyzing you, God has a lot at stake. Like when you poke your hand, he's pushed all the chips in your hand. And then he says, I'm all in for my glory. And I'm going to make sure you're okay. And so we have nothing to fear but fear tonight. We can turn to him and say, you don't have to fear. Because he's glory. We can trust. Even in the dark times. this morning, I would encourage you to turn to Monday. As you turn to this week, as you face this, turn to Him. Use those words and say, God is with me and He's not going to leave me. Because that would threaten His glory, which is His. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank You so much that You choose us. That You brought us in and that You are a God and or forsake us. You are there from the beginning to the end. In the storyline of your, your, of your creation, you have put a lot of rest on the fact that we can trust in you. In the end, everyone in the world, every knee and every tongue, will bow and confess that you are Lord, that you are true. Just bug you, 
for this day. Each of us has something to give. And Spirit, I pray that you would lead us and we hold on to the words from the end of the night as we go from here.